That is such a bummer. Well, I promise not to do anything interesting. So even if we do lose it, it won't be a big deal. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. If we, if you can just keep this as oh, the worst interview and storytelling ever, then then I won't be sad if we lose it. No problemo. It's <laughs> a great plan. <laughs> which is welcome in Albanian. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast, everybody. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and host of the Daddy Unscripted podcast. I'm really excited that you all are back for another episode. And I am equally and or more excited that you're back for this episode specifically, because this is a really great conversation between myself and a really cool guy that uh gosh how do i introduce evan evan kaufman is his name that's one way i can introduce him so evan is part of a great many things uh he is part of the fatherly team which is on fatherly.com and he has a weekly thing on there called Dude to Dad, which is a little video weekly series that he's doing, which you should check out. He is also a writer, an actor. I believe he does improv still. And uh, one of the main reasons that he and I actually ended up hooking up for this podcast episode is because he is on a podcast that is part of the Osiris Network, much like mine is, called God Ween Evan, which is a hilarious podcast uh, based on a really interesting idea of... So there's this band called Ween, which many of you may know or may not know of. And they are a very, I don't know, interesting band. They play all kinds of different styles of music. They even have a country album uh, specifically set out. And they are a particular taste. And not everybody will like Wayne. And not everybody does. And Evan absolutely does not. And we'll talk about that in this episode. But you should absolutely, if you are interested in listening to a podcast that is hilarious about these friends that are trying to convert their one friend to something else that they all love, it's really entertaining. So let me tell you now, since this is just a episode full of fantastic segues, let me segue into something in regards to the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris. Hey, this is Reed Mathis. This podcast is In The Loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com and stay in the loop. Sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com. Osiris. Okay, and that part of the business is done. So without any further ado, let me get you right into this episode with myself and Evan. Thank you for taking the time out and everything. I'm excited. Yeah, of course. I was totally like thrown when I looked and saw 
what all you were involved in. As a fellow plate spinner, I didn't realize that you are spinning a ton of plates as well. I, I knew you were spinning some, but not as many as... <laughs> I, I probably spin too many plates. Honestly, yeah. parent, parenting has sort of uh, been a great check on that, mm-hmm. which has been kind of interesting. It's I, I am definitely a person who says yes to too many things, mm-hmm. and uh, that has... Uh, I've got the world's greatest excuse now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it ends up being that... Gosh, I really, this thing is kind of on the edge. I'd mm-hmm. rather, you know, maybe wipe up vomit all night. Yeah, definitely uh, the sharp intake of breath through the teeth is how I <laughs> turn down most of my social engagements now. Yeah. Just can't do oh, it. Oh, I wish, um, I wish I could yeah. come to your one-man show, but, oh, gosh. <laughs> it sounds so good. Yeah, it does. I mean, this one sounds different. A half Italian and half Irish? Ooh, I wish. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've never seen a one man show go for six hours and I'd love <laughs> to witness that in person. But. It sounds immersive. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. First of all. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, been really good lately, which is great. It was certainly less good and it's still, it's still a little taxing. I'm still kind of rounding into it. And I, I really think it'll be interesting when he starts to really, really show personality. Mm-hmm. He's still kind of a blank slate in an interesting way that I yeah. find kind of difficult. It's funny. I want to cherish this time, but I'm also kind of like, man, I can't wait to you start asking questions. And I find out mm-hmm. kind of what sort of a person you are and what you're like. And, you know, so all that stuff is going to be kind of exciting. Yeah. I've always talked with uh, dads and moms, I guess, about how this first part is so again so different for men and women because they have the obvious bonds that they have that we can't um Mm. until they fix that male lactation machine that they've been working on um that will be so handy that will be great (laughs) yeah but this first part is so difficult like you end up kind of trying to get like get in there get some bonding happening and it, it'll it happen soon like once they start getting those little tiny little bits of their personality out it makes it a lot different for the dad i think totally all right well we are here today with a very exciting guest and I, i'm gonna try not to go too far into the obvious viral stuff for you evan i don't know if if that is a uh, I don't know how you've embraced or not embraced that whole thing, but I've embraced it all. Oh, that's perfect. So Evan Kaufman is the guest today who is part of so many things, um, one of which and the thing that I think kind of brought us to this place today is your part in God Ween Evan being another <laughs> of the Osiris podcasts. That's right. Uh, Love the Osiris podcast network. Oh yeah, it's so good. And I actually sent a fellow ween lover your guys podcast uh, like a week or a week and a half ago and he has texted me probably every two or three days saying how much he loves it. I That's great. I he probably doesn't love me. He probably uh, hates me. I'll have to ask him specifically what he thinks about each person involved. (laughs) But for those of you who aren't listening, um, first walk 
through your city and let everybody say shame at you for a little while. And you can choose to be naked or not while you do that. But it's a great concept. I love the idea of it because especially we, it works so well with ween totally because of how they are. I mean, you couldn't really do this with like, I guess you could with the spice girls or something like that, but it would be pretty um, repetitive. I mean, basically the, the premise of the show is that, um, we, we stole it from uh, a show called Analyze Fish. If you've ever heard that on um, competing network Earwolf, uh, that was basically a show in which Harris Whittles, who was a comedy writer, and Scott Ackerman. Harris tries to convince Scott Ackerman that fish is good. <laughs> and so my friends uh, for years have been telling me that I should get into the band Ween. I just was never into them. And so they created this podcast in order to get me into the band. And I think the thing that people really love about the show is it's like anything where you have a friend and they have all these interests that are aligned with yours, but they just don't like this one thing that you like and you can't understand why. Why don't you like this? You're fun. You like music. But I just uh, I can't get into Ween. I don't know what it is. I mean, they are obviously a very diverse. Oh, they can play. They can play all sorts of styles. They're funny. They're incredible musicians, and I hate them. (laughs) Which makes it entertaining. Yeah, and it's driving my three friends, Will, Paul, and Katie, insane. (laughs) And each week, you can listen to me. And obviously, like it's like anything. The more you try and get someone, it's like someone who's telling you every day in the office that you have to be watching Ozark on Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, you have to watch it. Bateman goes dark. Like it's really. And the more they tell you to watch it, the more you're like, I'm never gonna watch Ozark. Yeah. It's just never going to happen. So the more they kind of dig in their heels, the more I dig in my heels. And it's uh, it sounds like not a pleasurable listening experience, but it's great. Yeah, that's funny that you actually say that because that's one of the shows that I have tried to get somebody here at my work into. And I've (laughs) gone as far. I didn't do that with this person. Oh, there was a girl who works here who had never seen Goodwill Hunting. Oh, wow. I was like, this is a great, you have to see this movie. It's so good. Yeah. And she said, okay, I'll do it. If you watch three episodes of once upon a time, which is not up my alley. Wow. Very specific. Yeah. Interesting. Not equivalent. No, not at all. Once upon a time did not give us like two of the most compelling leading (laughs) men for the last (laughs) 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how many guest spots Gus Van Sant has done on Once Upon a Time. It's really interesting you bring this up, actually, because oddly enough, this is a thing that connects to my grandfather. Mm. Um, My grandfather was the type of person very well read and loved poetry and loved books, but would never recommend things to people because he felt as if that was rude. So the way he would always he would never say like, oh, you have to see or read or check out X because he felt as if that put an onus on somebody and it made it almost like a homework assignment. So the thing he always said was you might like blank, which sounds like a small distinction, but I think it's more about the intention. It's like, this could potentially be a gift for you instead of this is a thing that I'm making you feel bad because you haven't seen. Right. Right. Yeah. You're a horrible person. If you don't watch this, right? Like the wire, is a hard show to get into, but it's doubly hard if a bunch of, you know, like super woke white people are telling you that <laughs> it's required viewing yeah. in order for you not to be a uh, racist. 
You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. it's just like a harder hurdle to get over. With that said, guys, please watch The Wire. It is truly an incredible show. <laughs> yes. And uh, if you don't, you're incredibly racist. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> right. Have you found that being a dad has increased or decreased the amount of time for you to like binge or watch things? Um, currently, only because my kids are now 10 and 6, mm. uh, it it's okay. I'm in that area where I can do it. And, and my wife and I have completely opposite tastes in TV and film pretty much. There's she's a couple a, she's more of a once upon a time person. She can watch Gilmore Girls. I don't even know. She's on a current rewatch of that and she's probably watched the entire series, I don't know, since I've known her four times. Your wife sounds like a smart woman. Yeah, that's a lot. So <laughs> She'll be sitting in there, you know, being very happy watching Friends for the 20th time and Gilmore Girls and whatever. And I'll be sitting next to her brooding, watching Ozark, How to Make a Murderer, um, all these kinds of heavy shows that every once in a while she'll look over and what are you watching? Oh, how can you sleep after that? This sounds very similar to me and my wife's relationship, which is my Mm. wife uses television as an escape. And I consider television to be the utmost importance connection to the human soul. Mm -hmm. So I'll choose like some indie movie on Hulu that's, you know, called like, you know, Columbus, Ohio. And it's about, you know, two lovelorn people like meeting in a library. And I'm like, this is art. This is cinema. And she's like... I'm going to watch Stasi and Jax on <laughs> Vanderpump and escape from life for an hour. You can yeah. go through a twisted dark night of the soul if you want. Yeah. But I've always been that kind of person. I think I, you know, I assign a ton of importance on pop culture and movies and staying up with stuff and being a dad to a newborn has kind of challenged that for me. Yeah. I yeah. can't see the newest thing. I, you know, I'm not as, up on that stuff and it's hard for me because that's you know it's funny i I never really realized that i derive so much pleasure and also value oddly Mm -hmm. like i liked being on the cutting edge you know i want to have a take about uh star is born you you know what i mean for cocktail (laughs) conversation and i just can't anymore now i'm like yeah i want to see that someday maybe when it comes on on demand Mm mm-hmm well, but you might be that really cool person who's seen the other five versions of that movie before this right. one came out. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm like, oh, if you haven't seen Chris Christopherson, and yeah. Yeah, then you yeah. haven't. That's the real Bradley Cooper is Chris Christopherson. Yeah, there is no Bradley Cooper without Chris Christopherson. So yeah, it's true. It's very true. Well, let's go. Let's go back. We kind of touched on your grandfather so let's go back wherever it makes sense to go to get to figure out how it is that you are the person that you are sure well um my family is originally from wisconsin so uh my grandfather on my mother's side was a scottish fella named laird mcneil and he was a small town country doctor and poet in appleton wisconsin and Mm then um My grandfather on my father's side, Eugene Kaufman, was a podiatrist who lived in Racine, Wisconsin. My family has these deep Wisconsin roots, and my the first thing like my dad did when he became an adult was to move out of Wisconsin, which is 
interesting because he also never stops talking about Wisconsin, Hmm. which I think is a common thing for people in the Midwest who move away. They kind of long for the pastoral, uh, you know, lives they gave up and will often mention them. My father has this incredible skill where he can just look someone up and down and tell whether they are not from Wisconsin. We were once at a Bertucci's and the hostess was like, all right, you know, we'll see you in five minutes. You guys can eat rolls and color on the tables and then leave. And my dad just out of nowhere is like, I'm sorry, are you from Kenosha? And this woman is like, yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's like his weird clairvoyant skill. Um, (laughs) no money to be had from that or, or anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So my, my, both of my grandparents were, uh, you know, and my grandmother as well, all Wisconsin people. And my, uh, grandfather on my mother's side was a very impressive guy. And I think my grandfather on my dad's side was as well in his own quiet way. He was kind of a community leader, really a stand-up person, and um, people always described him as being the kind of guy who mowed the lawn in a suit. He was like a very, you know, a very sweet and gentle guy. Uh, But unfortunately, when I was younger, both of my grandparents passed away. When I was pretty young, I got Mm -hmm. to know my grandpa, uh, Laird McNeil. I got to know him a little bit, but grandpa Eugene Kaufman passed away before I was born. Mm -hmm. And he died pretty young. And my dad was pretty young when his father passed away. I believe he was maybe 24, something like that. And, you know, me and my dad have talked about this very loosely, but I think that kind of had an impact on him. Um, My dad was the baby in his family and was kind of a, a slight kid for a long time and didn't really grow until college. And I think losing his father at a young age um, was sort of difficult for him. It kind of, I think he always wishes that one, his father had been able to meet me and my brother, Mm -hmm. but also that he potentially, uh, you know, I think some people learn to live kind of for their parents in a way. It provides them with a roadmap and you can say the, you know, I don't think my father was ever going to go into the family business, but more so like, here's what I've done. I've, I have a wife, I have a child, I've accomplished these things and I'm able to show my parents that I'm okay. And I don't think my dad ever was able to do that. And I don't know if he's ever gotten closure, um, with that side of his life, but I I honestly don't know. It's something that I can ask him. And when you say your dad was the baby of his family, how many siblings did he have? He grew up, uh, one of four. Okay. And he was the youngest and uh, the smallest. I wouldn't describe my father as someone who has like a Napoleon complex or anything like that, but he definitely separated himself. He was very smart and uh, and still is, but was also very focused on being different. He was the kind of guy who collected jazz records and loved jazz during kind of like the Zeppelin era. And, you know, like the hard rock era. And he was like into, you know, Thelonious Monk. Um, And one of his childhood friends is actually this incredible bass player, jazz bass player named Gerald Cannon. And so he was really into jazz and um, music and sports, the things Mm. that he really gravitated towards. And did he play in a band as well or? He never did. Um, My grandfather was a saxophonist and my dad, 
I believe took saxophone lessons, but never really buckled down or found that he had the aptitude for it. My dad is sort of the type of person who dipped his toe into a lot of stuff and kind of decided he wasn't very good at any of it, which I don't really think is true, but he found that he had some talent for writing. He was a reporter early on and at one point was maybe going to become a sports reporter and then kind of drifted into the world of magazines and media. Hmm. And so is that what he's still doing today? No. So I don't know if you know, but magazines are uh, no longer a thing. <laughs> um, I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, there's only one left, and I believe they just moved it to online. But yeah, so he uh, he has worked for the past couple of years at this company called Keep America Beautiful as their communications uh, VP. I think I could be getting that wrong. You know that thing where you don't actually know what your dad does for a yes, living and he never totally. tells you? Yeah. Yeah. That's my dad. We would always ask and he would be like, "Ah, don't worry about it. It It's interesting. But he has worked there for a long time. Keep America Beautiful is this environmental company most famous for the 70s PSA with Iron Eyes Cody, who was the Indian fellow who was crying with the trash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who was actually an Italian guy. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Wow. That's not only a fun fact. That's an amazing fact. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's worked for them for a while, um, and is a wonderful writer. And my dad's true skill is his ability to write and craft emails. He writes these very beautiful, long, funny emails to people. He remembers everyone's name. He still kind of has the mind of a reporter. He knows, Mm. you know, he can remember names and faces and will point people out to me in the airport. I've never heard of, oh, that's so-and-so the editor of Newsweek or, you know, and you're like, how do you Mm -hmm. know what an editor of Newsweek looks like? And he can just remember very specific details, uh, whether they be about Wisconsin or not. That's cool. That's a part of my brain that is so gone. Oh, me too. I'm terrible with names. Never existed, probably, but is just, yeah, it's a, that's a skill like juggling that I wish I had. (laughs) Yes, both very useful on a college campus. (laughs) Yeah. So you are one of two siblings yourself? I am. I'm the older brother. It's uh, Evan and Aaron. And then my parents are Larry and Mary, which is, yes, truly adorable. Yeah. (laughs) My dad met my mom at the University of Wisconsin. They both went there. And he, as he puts it, he hung out in the library for four years, which sounds like he did a lot of work. But I think actually the library was just like where he hung out and read magazines and goofed off. Mm -hmm. And he met my mom. And this is pretty good for my dad. This again, my dad is someone who I think, um, you know, is, is very humble and likes to kind of downplay his accomplishments. But this is how my dad asked out my mom, which I think is pretty slick. He, She was uh, working at the library at the time, and he came up and he passed her a little note that said, Hey, librarian, what's your call number? I want to check you out. Oh, that's good. Pretty good. But, and this is a thing I, I found out later on, he didn't actually give her any way to contact him. Oh, so... <laughs> So then he just left. And I guess his assumption was, well, I mean, you know, I'll see her again. She's at the library. And I guess he did. But yeah, Yeah. very, you know, again, it's kind of incredible to look back and just think, wow, there was a lot of opportunities for me to not exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially if you think about how long ago that was. I mean, even thinking back to when 
I don't know. I don't. How old are you, Evan? I am thirty-one years old. Okay, so you're a young buck still. When <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, we you saw a girl at the mall or whatever when you were a teenager, and that was like it. You didn't have, you know. Nowadays, it's so it's too easy. Yeah, have, but that's that's it's actually the flip side is the problem. I mean, I don't know. I kind totally. of missed the online dating craze, but the problem now is that you're paralyzed by choice. Oh yeah, you can Tinder, 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 Tinder. Yeah, and especially here in New York, I know my single friends are always like, "I went on my fiftieth date with a guy with brown mm. hair who went to an Ivy League school, and he didn't say anything interesting, and I didn't have a good time, and I'm going on another one tomorrow." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I I cannot imagine dating in this day and age. I would mm. I would be a man of the cloth. <laughs> how did you sure. meet? How did you meet your wife? Um, I actually knew her for probably seven, six or seven years before we started dating. She was uh, a mutual friend and we were friends and I knew her through her bad relationships and she knew me through my bad relationships. And so we had kind of seen all of each other's seasons and good and bad sides and all that kind of stuff. So we we were very fortunate and uh, I always kind of had a liking for her and I really took her to a to an islands restaurant, which I don't know if they have those out there, but uh, I invited her to lunch at islands and we both went there and I told her that I can't remember exactly the words, but I think I told her that I liked her, liked her. And she turned bright red. And since we had been friends for so long and we were so intermeshed with so many other common friends, we, well, she really wanted to think about it because the disturbance of the clan kind of would have been so massive if it didn't work out or if it. Yeah, that's that has to work out. Yeah. Which it did. So, um, yeah. So how about, how about with you guys, you and your wife? So we actually met in an improv class. I was her improv instructor, which Mm. is pretty scandalous. Yeah. We were in Boston and, uh, I saw this cute girl in this Led Zeppelin t-shirt and she was, you know, in the improv class and she was funny and uh, like great energy, really energetic and like super confident. My wife is very confident. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, wow, I really like this girl, but it's unprofessional of me to date her because I'm her teacher. There's a power dynamic there. It's not going to work. So, you know, after every class, we would go out and drink. And, uh, you know, I was 23 at the time. So you could still do that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, I never imbibe alcohol and uh, yeah. <laughs> I churn butter every night. Um <laughs> But yeah, so we, you know, we talked afterwards and she was talking to me about music and I was like, oh, wow, this girl's so cool. She's so cool. And uh, I walked her to a friend's house. She was staying with a friend in this neighborhood and I walked her there and we get to the gate and I'm like, well, you know, um, we still have uh, six weeks left of this class. But uh, if after those six weeks are over, uh, perhaps you would like to go out on a date with me. I think that would be wonderful. You know, like I'm <laughs> like a courtesan or something, you know, yeah. steering her to Bergeracking. Uh, they're on the street and my, and my wife just kind of nods at me and she goes, okay, cool, whatever. And then she goes inside. And then like the next class uh, we're at this bar again and I put her in a cab and she gets out the other side of the cab. 
<laughs> and oh, basically gosh. it's like where's your apartment <laughs> so uh you know she is a very forward lady she knows what she wants <laughs> and it's funny whenever i tell people you know oh I, I was her improv instructor people are like oh power dynamic but it's like she was she still it was is reverse the, power Yes, exactly. And I like that. You know, my wife is a very confident and super smart. And, you know, especially with the parenting thing now, like mm. she was, I always knew she was going to be a super mom. She was really, really loves kids and has a big family and is really into the idea of having children. My goals are all very like, you know, they're kind of evil goals. It's like, I want to live in an all glass house. Like a modern house with like a lap pool, you know, in the kitchen. And my wife is like, I want a big family with a lot of love. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I want to sell a spec script to Fox when I'm 25. You know, like all my uh, aspirations are very evil. (laughs) But but my wife is motivated by love and goodness. And it really shows when she's around our kid. That's cool. That's it's funny, like how much I mean, they say it you know, you're right at the beginning of it. You hear all these yeah. things and it's, there's so many cliches and there's so many things that are wives tales and old adages. And you hear things from every generation and everybody who has kids knows everything and wants to share all their advice with you and whatever. hundred oh, percent. Yeah. And it is though. The one thing that is absolutely truth across the board is your life changes so much when you become a parent it really reveals the quality of your character i think um Mm -hmm. and that's you know i've been so lucky with my wife and i know it just sounds like i'm trying to like remarry my wife or something but um (laughs) you know she is the type of person who in a crisis is really good and is patient and is kind. And, you know, these are all the things that you kind of think when you're dating or you're starting to date someone. I was, I was remarking on this recently, but it's kind of incredible that I met this person eight years ago and now we have a child mm-hmm. and you really have to be smart about the qualities that you look for and pick because, you know, again, there were plenty of people in my past who were uh, perhaps shallow or, you know, Mm -hmm. I liked them for the wrong reasons or I liked them because they liked me or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But to really find someone who can share those duties and who you trust and who you know is doing an incredible job, very lucky. We actually just purchased a car. This is like the first car we've ever bought. And it's like this big adult thing and we're filling out paperwork and all this like crazy nonsense. And my wife is just like super on top of it, but also is, you know, making sure she talks to me the whole way through because Mm -hmm. I was kind of iffy on getting the car and she was like, let's do it. And we're just making this decision together. And then at the end of it, she's like, oh my God, can you believe we did that? And I'm like, can you believe you did that? Like you, you did it. You know, but it's still this funny thing of adult, adult, adult. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, we got away with it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's how parenting feels a little bit, too. It's like you take care of the kid all day. You put him to bed. You look at him in the baby monitor and you're like, oh, my God, we got away with it. Yeah. Who was it? Maybe it was a celebrity that said they got home with their baby and they looked at their spouse and said, I can't believe they let us take this baby home. 
How is that possible? I know. And just like they say, anybody anybody can have a baby. That's true. Yeah. My God, is it true? Yeah. We've seen it. Well, and that's that's one of the cool things, like what you're saying about your wife and everything. I think less wow, this this uh episode is becoming or seems to have a very sexist undertone against <laughs> men. Um, which I'm okay with. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah. But like women, I think, tend to think about that stuff a lot more. And that's, of course, another generalization. But I think uh, on a wide scale, a lot more women are dating and thinking about those future situations. And how is this guy going to be as a husband and as a parent mm-hmm. and and as a my caretaker or whatever than us guys that are typically like, what is she going to look like when she's 30. <laughs> well, I will I will say this for the men. I'll represent the men. Um <laughs> oh in this argument. Yeah, yeah. When I met my wife, I just kind of knew. And I think mm-hmm. with women, you know, again to paint a very broad brush, but there is a lot of planning and it's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of thinking ahead. And I didn't need to think ahead because when I met her, I was like, Yep, I did mm-hmm. it. This is the person. And you know, that certainty is uh, a calming thing. And I think I feel it with the kid right now where like, there's a lot of planning that goes on. We need to make sure he's doing this. He's doing that. He's doing the other thing. But at the end of the day, so much of parenting, I think is just taking a step back and being like, are my needs met? Are their needs met? Are we having a good time? Are we, you know, living in this moment right now? And everything else kind of takes care of itself. Like there's so much that's outside of the realm of your control. And that planning ahead is really just trying to harness a thing that sometimes you can't harness. And I felt that way about me and my wife's relationship. You know, she obviously, when we kind of were together for a little bit was was like, okay, I want to get married now. Okay. I want to do this now. It's how we had the kid. Okay. I want to have a child now. And mm-hmm. I was a little bit more. And again, I think this is a male versus female thing, but I was kind of like, let's, you know, we're, we're taking it as it goes. We're, 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 let's live in the now. Let's enjoy ourselves. Let's travel a little bit. What's it like yeah. to be young in New York? What's it like to, you know, have a little bit of money in our pocket? Not a lot, but, and then as these things go, you, you just kind of all of a sudden fall into it and you, you wake up and you've got a kid in a car and you're like, Oh no, I have to go work in a coal mine for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and all of that is, like, the spontaneity and everything is so... I mean, you'll start to experience that a lot more. I sound like I'm some kind of grandparent, but you will a lot more when you are planning events and having sleepovers and having parties and, and days out where you just kind of roll with the punches because that's what you have to do. And the stress of the planning and the structure and everything a lot of times otherwise will it it gets picked up on you know you gotta it's it's the weird inception that i think you could if you took the time think about it in some of those moments and think about wow when i was a kid what kind of things did i maybe pick up on from my parents that i didn't even realize then that i can realize now and then thinking about what your kids may be seeing that 
they they may not know yet, but they will know when they're 30 or whatever. Oh, 100%. I, I think back, just thinking about planning, my parents scheduled us to a T. And my dad was an incredible planner. Uh, we would have like Sunday fun day where we would go off and do something. And my dad you know, took us to museums and took us to concerts and took us to, you know, I think he's, he's the person who really instilled in me the importance of cultural things. And I, you know, I sound pretentious, but I I really just mean like that those things are fun and interesting and it's fun to go and do that. Um, And I just think back on how, you know, ungrateful I was. Like I still yawn when I go into a museum, just a knee jerk reaction, because when I was a kid, we used to go to museums and I would yawn when I was in them. So mm-hmm. it is this, but I, you know, I'm so thankful to my dad for opening all these avenues to me. I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, like I'm a big comedy person and my father was extremely influential when it came to comedy. He liked a lot of different comedians and he introduced me to a lot of them. Mm. And he was always the type of person who would read something, you know, my dad, it's funny, I didn't have an older brother to like give me music. So my dad was that person. Mm -hmm. And he didn't necessarily like the music, but he would read, you know, he read about Beck and Midnight Vultures, you know, that record and Mm -hmm. gave it to me when I was like 13 years old. And it changed my life. I loved it, you know, but again, it's like one of those things. What dad just reads in the New York Times, like, oh, Beck has a new record out. I guess I'll get it for my get son 13 year old yeah. yeah like i'll yeah. see if he likes it he, i got i got david byrne records when i was 12 you know wow and and it's again he's just kind of throwing darts too he has no idea right. but I, I think about you know the chances and risks my dad took when it came to things to do with his family he, he never pushed things on us it's not like i became a big jazz fan because he loved jazz mm-hmm. but he definitely you know, noticed what I was interested in and encouraged it. And it's a thing I look back on now that I have my kid. I really feel like in your 30s, you really get to start to see your parents more clearly as people. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of entering this stage now with my dad where I, I sort of realize like what he was trying to do or what he was sort of you know, what he was interested in. Mm -hmm. And my father is also someone who's very selfless uh, in good ways and bad. And he always put himself below the needs of me and my brother or my mom or the family in general. He's the type of person who it's, it's kind of a Jewish thing and kind of a Midwestern thing. You know, there's a last piece of pizza. My dad's not going to take it. Right. It's the reverse version of the uh, big piece of chicken joke that Chris Rock has. Or it's like, dad gets the big piece of chicken. My dad's the opposite. My dad's like, hashtag I ate the bones. I knew I ate the bones. I wanted to eat the bones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he's... Love that marrow. My dad almost fell into traffic once to try and avoid being in a picture that someone was taking. Like, he's wow. that kind of guy. He's like, yeah. you don't want a picture of me. You yeah, want a yeah. picture of these other people. So the fact that he was able to like put himself out there in this way and, you know, take us to all these things and do so much planning for us is a thing that I really want to try and, you know, do with my kid. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's, you realize as you go now, how difficult that is just the sheer amount, especially now the sheer amount of work that I can be doing at any time because of the internet or because of, you know, whatever, around my son and and the way his day is scheduled to find that time to plan out, you know, places to go and things to do. 
time management is such a big thing in parenting right now. Mm-hmm. And people are constantly, you know, trying to commodify it and talk about it. But I just think my dad was so incredible with that. And he's still good at it. He's the type of person who can find a restaurant for us to go to, you know, somewhere in Connecticut, it's some tiny, adorable town. And you're just like, how did you find this place? Mm-hmm. You know, how did you find the spoke wheel in, um, you know, wherever the go in, what's the Gilmore girls, Connecticut town. <laughs> oh gosh. I, just because my wife watches it, Evan. Oh, some, mean that some must've gotten in the through osmosis. Like sleepy hollow or something it like is. that. Yeah. It's like stars, stars, star, star hollow or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, my dad, will find the restaurant in star hollow to go to. And you're like, how did you find this? He's like, Oh, I read about it on Connecticut magazine. You're like, they yeah. make Connecticut magazine. You're yeah. like, yeah, Diana Taurasi's on the cover. She's been on the cover every month. <laughs> Or I'm just reading the same edition over and over again. <laughs> and I just, we just keep stop. going to the yeah. same great restaurant. Uh, that's cool, though. I mean, humongous kudos to your dad for doing that, because I think that that is one of the things that even for myself, as you're saying that it does trickle into my brain of that's something that I need to do more of because every just like every parent is different and every parenting experience is different. We know that every kid is different and every kid is not the same as their parent. And so I think a lot of times we try to give them the experiences that we didn't have or give them the experiences that we loved. And so that means they're going to love it too. And it's it's a very solid reminder of their tastes are going to be what their tastes are. And sometimes you got to prod around and see what those things are that uh, tickle their funny bone the right way, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more depressed. I feel like it's in every single one of these parenting shows, but it's like the dad who brings his son or daughter to X concert and is like, you're mm-hmm. going to love this. Mm-hmm. And then they don't pay attention and they hate it. And the dad is like destroyed. Mm-hmm. I did have a moment like that with my father that I remember very distinctly, which was I was not a very popular kid when I was in high school. Um, so I would stay at home a lot on like Friday nights. Um, I also worked Sunday mornings at a, a local like coffee shop. So mm-hmm. I would get up at like five in the morning on Sundays. So there wasn't a ton of like incredible ragers going on on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty cool kid, but one night it was like a Friday night and my dad was like, Hey, you know, what's on television? Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman. It's a classic Bill Murray. It's great movie. We'll watch it together. It'd be really fun. I'm like, dad, that sounds great. We'll watch Tootsie. And I got a phone call from some like new friends and they were like, Hey, you have your license, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, come over. We're like, you know, all getting together. We're hanging out. I was like, okay, great. And so I got off the phone and I told my dad like, Hey, um, I'm actually going to go out with these friends. And he, I just remember this so crystal clear. He just looked at me and goes, Oh, okay. But I thought we were going to watch Tootsie. Oh God. I know. I know. And years later we did watch it together, but I just remember that, you know, and you just think like, of course he's excited for me. His yeah. son is going to go off and, you know, have a social life in which he's not watching a cross-dressing Dustin Hoffman on a Friday night. But, <laughs> you know, in that moment, you still can't, you feel a little 
heartbroken. Yeah. There's just that 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 little moment. And I think about it now with my son, who obviously is, you know, still He's almost like, ready for Tootsie. Almost ready for Tootsie. <laughs> um, I mean, now's the time to get him on uh, watching all the great Dustin Hoffman classics. Yeah, um, yeah. But Wag you the know, dog is next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's uh, he's five months old, and just him. Even when he is not interested in me, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit, mm-hmm. and I take it a mm-hmm. little personally. And I have to remind myself that you know this is his own. He's his own person, but. Also, I just think about my dad and like that feeling of you ungrateful little shit. Like, do you know all the nonsense I did and you can't sit and watch Tootsie with me? Yeah. But that's you that's how many times I wiped your ass. Right. So that we could get here to this moment where yeah, you're exactly. wiping your own ass and we can finally watch Bill Murray deliver just a classic performance with yeah. only a couple of lines. Everyone yeah. gets he's in Tootsie, but he's great in it. Um, good, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny. And that you don't want to pressure them into trying to like the things that you like, even though it feels like a way to share with them. Right. I think, I think you have to, it's, it's kind of like my grandfather did. You kind of have to lay it out a little bit, almost convince them it's their idea. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a funny moment when, you know, I, I have this really distinct memory of my parents taking me to see this musical called bat boy. You know, you ever heard of this musical? Mm-mm. It was based on, it's very funny, very weird musical based on the weekly world news had this bat boy guy and some crazy people wrote a musical about it. And I remember just like making fun of this musical all the way. I was like, I can't believe like, what are the songs going to be? It's going to be so lame. And the lights go down and this musical starts and it's awesome. It's super funny. The music is really? great. I have a great time. And at the intermission, I apologize to my dad. And said, hey, I'm sorry. I made fun of this and it's really great. And thank you for taking me. You know, I must have been like 14 or 15 or something. Yeah. But, you know, I just think about moments like that where, again, it's it's a treat. And you're taking that for granted, but you just don't know. You have to kind of, you know, lead the horse to water and see what happens. Right. Yeah. My kids now and and I probably a, a couple times a week, I almost pinch myself and just remind myself as again, cliche and lame as it sounds, I have to hold on to these moments because my kids are still in the world of daddy, come sit by me, come sit by me and come sit in the middle and let us both sit next to you. And them almost kind of fighting for um, my attention or whatever. And still the king. Yeah. Oh my God. Like my, when my daughter is a teenager and if, and when that changes, I will, I don't know. You'll probably see me on a milk. Do they <laughs> Do still make know? milk cartons? I'll yeah, of course. Well, it's mostly for parents now of teenagers. Mostly online now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You'll be on online milk Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder if there's a way because like me and my parents got along when I was a teenager. I certainly, you know, we certainly had our moments, but I liked my parents, you know, when I was a teenager, Mm -hmm. I understood them uh, that they were people. I think I did make some assumptions and I look back now and I just think like, oh, wow. Like I thought I knew everything, but my brother had trouble with my parents when he was in high school and their relationship is much better now. But, you know, I do, I just wonder, you know, do you need to let them rebel? Is that part of the natural, you know, 
right. growing up phase that no matter how much love you give them, that they will find it, you know, like, Oh, I hate our mansion or whatever it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and you just kind of have to let that happen. I don't know. Yeah. And how far do you let them go with it? Sure. Yeah. What's the difference between, you know, a beer in the woods and doing an eight ball at the SAT prep class? I, I went to my um, my math test today and uh, they kicked me out because I was doing an eight ball. <laughs> well, mm. I still love you, son. Yeah, I still I see I see you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I see I, you. I, I hear, hear you. you. I hear you. Uh, I think we might have to rein it in a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's with me. So I'm the youngest of eight, mm-hmm. and my oldest sister, well, my oldest siblings were pretty rebellious and pretty. They pushed the envelope, and my dad was a pastor, so it was you know one of those kind of fighting against the grain i think things a little bit yeah of and course. to the point where my sister ran away probably uh, solidly three times before she was 16 or 17 and then kind of bailed and she was really like all of her boyfriends and or husbands uh, almost all of them had something to do with they were either drug dealers or they had something mm. to do with drug dealers and she really took it to the extreme and i i'm you know my parents have already parented seven kids and by the time they got to me i was kind of seen as you've got a little bit more leeway than some of the rest of us did which may have just been because my parents were exhausted from all the other parenting i would think Um, yeah but i was i was fairly rebellious i got my first tattoo when i was 15 i i was fairly rebellious and my parents always were kind of there with the reminder of we will i heard a lot of we will love you always unconditionally no matter what you do we will always love you and so i i had that sense of a safety net but i think i also you know didn't push it as far as my sister did that's for sure yeah i i always wonder about what it means to rebel and what it means to try and you know, create an individual version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in high school, I was certainly the type of person who I was very on. And I mean that in kind of like a comedy sense where mm. I was performing. When mm-hmm. I was at high school, I was performing. And then I would come home and be very, very quiet and very reserved. And, you know, when you are trying to construct a persona for yourself, I definitely think I rejected a lot of things that I associated with my dad and uh, I still struggle with them a little bit. You know, my dad is someone who is kind of passive about self care. Mm -hmm. Um, He is the type of person who he kind of accepts his circumstances and, you know, doesn't advocate for himself. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a business, you know, quasi in a business, the entertainment business where you need to be your number one advocate. You need to be the person who is creating material for yourself and saying, I can do this unless you are so talented that people just, you know, need you in rooms or whatever it is. But even then you, you still have to put things out there, show up and be like, here I am. 
but I just think that's a good skill in general in life. You know, I want to teach my son to be his own best friend. And I struggle with that sometimes myself. And I think my dad does too. You know, this feeling of, well, this is how life is and it can't get better is yeah. a is a hard one. You want, I think, instead of people telling you that you're smart, I want to tell my son that he's a hard worker, that mm-hmm. he's gritty, that he has perseverance, that he can bounce back. Because I think, you know, if I've learned anything from just the couple of years I've spent kind of toiling away and trying to establish myself in any real way in entertainment or just in a create, you know, having a creative lifestyle, it's that you're never going to stop chasing things. I think that's true in life in general as well. You're never going to stop kind of seeking. And once you reach one milestone, you're going to want more. And really what's important is drilling down into like why you love doing what you do. And can you, pull joy out of the process. And I think my dad is a talented person who never really advocated enough for himself or allowed himself to go for what he uh, wanted to go for. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think like, well, maybe my dad really wanted to be a sports reporter, but didn't think he could hack it. Or maybe my dad really wanted to be a writer, but didn't feel as if he had anything to say. And I constantly kind of have to reject that notion that bubbles up in myself where it's like, okay, I want to do this thing, but is that enough? Do I have enough to say? Am I interesting enough? Is, you know, why does anybody want to hear from me? And I think you just have to remind yourself that it's not about wanting to hear or making sure that you're, you deserve to do a thing so much as it's, I want to do this thing and Mm -hmm. just wanting to do it and wanting to put some craft behind it makes it worthwhile. And advocating for yourself is not being cocky or being a jerk. It's just taking care of yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's kind of, I think podcasting really almost more than anything has shown me that, that it is that kind of fulfilling thing that, we enjoy doing i'm in just including you in this oh sure uh, now and you know i think the extra benefit is the people who also enjoy it and get something out of it and you hear from them and whatever but it is also like it gives you that self-fulfillment while you're doing it as well and for me it's it's for each show obviously it's different for you you guys get to all hang out and joke around and talk and you're also getting your ears filled with amazing things that you love (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but for me like having these conversations I say this fairly frequently with all of the different people that I have as guests like it's it's really that is an extra fantastic thing for me uh, because I don't as a dad who spins a lot of plates, I don't get to have a lot of these kind of conversations with people just on the street. You know what I mean? Like totally I'll talk with somebody in the grocery store or whatever for five minutes because we're both Red Sox fans or we are interested in the same music or milk cartons. And then it's a five minute conversation, but talking with somebody like this doesn't, even though I have, friends that are men and friends that are dads like i I don't always get this opportunity to just sit and talk with them for an hour or so and 
hearing different perspectives as well from, you know, dads in completely different circumstances in mm. completely different levels, you know, talking with you makes me think back to when I was at the five month stage and what that, what those challenges were like different from what my challenges are now with my six and 10 year old. So I think that doing, doing those things that bring you that fulfillment, but also have that extra little cherry on top of somebody else getting something out of it as well is something that I think a lot of people are hesitant to go for, but I think they should not be. I agree with what you're saying. Totally. I think too, when you become a dad, there's this feeling of wanting to subsume your personality uh, in order to provide for your kid. You know, mm-hmm. there's always that kind of old trope of like, well, I would have been a dancer, but then you came along kind of thing. Yeah. And I love that you use dancer. Yeah. 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 Oh, I would have been an <laughs> incredible ventriloquist, but then you had to come along. Um, yeah. And I think that's really negative. And I, I, I do sometimes succumb to what I would call like, you know, the, the dream of giving up. You know, there is this sort of fantasy of like, well, maybe I'll just get like a super normal job and, um, you know, try and be normal. And but I I think that would be bad for my kid. You know, I Mm -hmm. think that seeing your parents struggle, but also uh, try to achieve things is is super important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my dad worked very hard his whole life and continues to work hard for us. And I I always appreciate that. But I've also wanted my dad to work for himself a little bit too. You know, I think that having that healthy balance is really important. And I think the other thing that you said is is also really true, which is, you know, thank God we have things like podcasts and the internet. And, um, you know, I, I have this weekly show that I create right now for this website called fatherly.com, which is called Dude to Dad, which is like this weekly web series about being a dad. And it's really been interesting to talk to different men in a way that I don't think men really talk too much. You know, there Mm -hmm. was this episode of uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy that came out on Netflix this past season. It's about this guy who's a dad and he just wants to meet other dads. Like one of the things they do is they do like a daddy meetup. And this guy Mm -hmm. who, you know, works these crazy hours and is trying to provide for his kids. He just wanted to hang out with some other you know, guys who were dads. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that old saying that's like, you know, men who are over 30 have a hard time making friends, right? I think that parenting in some ways can be super isolating. And, you know, you're so focused on your kids, you're focused on your family. But having a, an outlet to talk to other people, to talk to other dads, to, you know, not even solve things, but just commiserate and empathize and, you know, discuss this stuff is super important. So I think this podcast is clearly a great outlet for that. And that's, and that's the function of what art should be. Yeah. Starting conversations, uh, ha- helping people empathize, helping you kind of see, you know, I don't know if uh, my situation right now necessarily unlocks any kind of crazy empathy or like, oh, wow, what must it be like to be in his shoes? You know, my, my parenting life is pretty normal, I would say even though it is kind of like Brooklyn dad, you know, adjacent, I'd say hipster adjacent. I don't, I don't, I don't dress well enough to, uh, truly go full, uh, kombucha on anybody, but you know, it's, it's 
really been interesting to work at fatherly for instance Mm -hmm. uh, and get all these different perspectives on what it means to be a modern dad and see how some men are embracing that and some are rejecting it Mm -hmm. and i kind of i don't begrudge the people who are rejecting it either because you know it, it really it it stretches you 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 have to be elastic you have to continue to push what it means to be a father in this day and age. Yeah. And it's, and what you're saying too, about advocating for yourself and doing these things, I think that that is so important too, because if you aren't, if you are just giving up and giving in a little bit and saying, I'm just going to work the cubicle job and I've got this opportunity and it's not going to be as self-fulfilling and whatnot, that all bleeds all of it bleeds into your relationships and your life and especially those at home. And so for me, like I work really hard within my plate spinning and uh, I always talk about it with my wife who kind of makes fun of me a little bit for it of um, filling my cup. I always say like you have all of your cups and you put whatever substance it is that is filling it up. And for me, you know, I have my podcast, I do photography as well and do all of, you know, I watch a lot of baseball because I'm a freak about it. And like (laughs) all of these little things put things in my cup and my cup is at least halfway or whatever level full. And then I'm able to be better, be a better person around my family give more to my wife, to my kids, et cetera, as opposed to if I worked in Joe versus Volcano's job Mm. and hated my life and came home every day and had to somehow flip that switch of, hey, everybody, I'm the dad who you want to love and who loves you is a lot easier when you have all these things that are fulfilling you as well. Totally. I mean, it's, it's also about modeling behavior, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you want your kids to be the type of people who go for it and follow their passions and also who are responsible at the same time. Yeah. You know, th- this is all not to say that like, I'm going to get a Winnebago and be like, all right, we're going on tour. We're going to do a bunch, you know, yeah. I'm going to do a bunch of bar shows. I'm going to do improv at a bunch of bar sh- bars all over the United States. And you're going to, you know, set up the lights. It's like, no, <laughs> you're my new uh, stand up roadie. Yeah, exactly. You're opening for me in Des Moines <laughs> tomorrow at the Chuckle Hut. Get ready. Chuckle Hut. Please tell me that's a real thing. Oh, I believe there are some oh, Chuckle Huts. I'm amazing. sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that gives us a good way to go into like, what are aside from fatherly, which you touched on, which how mm-hmm. long have you been with that group of people or so organization. I have been working at fatherly is like a, a media company that's aimed at new dads. And I've been working there for five months because I basically got hired when I had my son, mm. uh, which is kind of hilarious, but essentially I pitched them this idea of doing a weekly video series about me being a dad. And, uh, they were like, great. And I made the first one kind of as a spec thing. And they were like, Hey, why don't you just come and work for us full time? So that's currently my full time gig. I'm technically like a video producer for them. Awesome. But I, I make this show and I, 
I'm on it every week. You can check it out at facebook.com backslash dude to dad, or you can go on fatherly and Google dude to dad. But yeah, I mean, besides that, I, you know, I do the, the podcast you mentioned already. I perform a show called your love, our musical here in New York. We do it once a month where I, uh, interview a couple with my comedy partner, Rebecca Vigil, and then we improvise a musical based on their love story. I write, I act, I try and direct things every once in a while. Uh, there's just, you know, again, like you said, spinning plates. I feel like uh, that scene in Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where the plates are all dancing. You know the one. You know, most of my energy right now is focused on this day job, which is a creative day job, which is really great. And it came along at kind of the right time Mm -hmm. for my family, which has been interesting. I I had been freelancing previous to that, making videos and editing and kind of just scrounging around for whatever I could find. And uh, it's been a really interesting transition to kind of blend those two worlds together into this one job. And I'm very lucky to have it. But besides that, I mean... One of the things that I'm constantly on the hunt for now is just time to continue to pursue personal projects and to continue to make interesting things, stuff like doing the podcast uh, on the Osiris Network, Um, things like, you know, figuring out different podcasts, figuring out, uh, you know, I'm working on a couple of like book treatments and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot that's always going on and in my head and and roving around. And so it's like, how can I focus and drill down and figure out what I really want to do? It's hard. Yeah, especially now that you're, do you feel like you're kind of trying to sneak stuff in, like in the wee hours? And well, you tell me. I mean, I'm doing a podcast yeah. in my bathroom at ten sixteen p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, new studio. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I've never cherished pockets of time before like I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, the thirty minutes on the train commuting in is now 30 uninterrupted moments to read a book Mm -hmm. or write something or um, listen to a podcast. You know, the time I have when I get home, it's like my second work day. I get home and I, you know, I work on personal projects or sometimes I have to work on actual work stuff. But, you know, the day is split up in these two different kind of quadrants. And then the, the weekends are gone now for family. Yeah. Forever, Evan. Yeah. Forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. I, I feel like you're um uh one of the ghosts in the Christmas carol. <laughs> yeah, I'm the ghost of Christmas. Uh yeah. dad's past. Exactly. <laughs> These weekends are the chains I formed in life. Um but yeah, I I've never been more appreciative of those little pockets of time and time management has never been more important and also efficiency and mm-hmm. uh not making excuses. You know, if you have 30 minutes with which to write, you're not going on Twitter, you're writing. Right. I think that, the, and obviously it's hard. It's still hard because God, there have been so many times I've gained 25 pounds since I became a dad. And part of that is just the only break that I have taken for myself has been food. Mm-hmm. That's like my reward system. I'm like, I deserve this bowl of ice cream because I spent all day <laughs> acting like a maniac. And obviously, I have to change it. And I, guys, I'm in therapy. I'm finding time to go to the gym. Like, it's going to be fine. But that feeling of, I want to reward myself. Yeah. I want to just take a little time. You need that time. But you also, if you want to continue to get things done, you have to 
break off that 20 minutes and, you know, write that little thing or edit that little thing and, and figure out how to fit it all in. But yeah, I, I totally empathize with you. I think it's, it's kind of crazy. It's just like that time is gone. Yeah. It's gone. And, and it, I can't believe how much time I wasted totally being a, being a human being before I had kids. Yep. And it's tough too, <laughs> especially like I hope that your son is sleeping well now. Um, mm. And, and, and that always comes and goes in phases uh, with, I mean, every kid is different, obviously, but you can have that spell, you know, once teething starts and that's a totally different story. Oh then, yeah. We're entering that right oh, now. Oh God. And you have that, one month or whatever where it's just crazy and i mean there have been so many times where i would the next day just curse myself for not taking every opportunity to sleep even though yes. i maybe got some stuff accomplished but i was like i i wouldn't have done any of that if i knew that i would have been getting woken up every 20 minutes or whatever it may be so it's yeah coffee i never drank coffee really i kind of i i had a tryst with it in high school but <laughs> the day we brought home uh my firstborn i was the first day i drank coffee and it has changed my life ever since yeah i am still not a coffee drinker mm. but i've never drank more iced tea in my life mm -hmm. like green iced tea from a variety of different places unsweetened and it's just like, give me that yellow caffeine. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caffeine is, uh, is a parent's, uh, oh. I always laugh at all the wine stuff, you know, oh, yeah. moms with wine is such a big kind of thing, but caffeine, that is where it's at. Oh, no alcohol. I can't do, I can't do it anymore. I instantly fall asleep as oh, soon yeah. as I have yep. any, and I, you know, I need that time. That time is precious. <laughs> every little second <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on and yeah of course spending some of your time all these are it great was segments. well it was well spent time yes i'm glad you were able to get some uh time away and make sure you thank your wife for allowing you to be uh uninterrupted for of course she she could be doing anything with this hour mm -hmm. who knows she could be asleep right she could be uh, watching uh, Stassi and Jax on Vanderbilt Rules. Maybe watching. Actually, while we were doing this, my wife sent me a text, and it was a video from Gilmore Girls. Oddly enough, there you go. Didn't even I didn't even tell her we were talking about that, but she sent me a video of the heavy metal guy who is mm. in that show. Well, you tell your wife; she'll be pretty excited about this. My son is uh, his name is Rory. Oh, fantastic! So there you go. I do like that there for, a, for a boy as well. Named after Rory Gilmore. <laughs> no way. No, I'm kidding. I'm oh kidding. Oh my gosh. I, I was going <laughs> to. We just, we just like the name Rory. But people have asked. They're I'm like, sure. you big Gilmore Girls fan? And I'm like, of course. Do you get any Rory Culkin questions? We don't. But man, if you've seen him in um, uh, Succession, I, oh, I hope God, I will be yes. getting it more. Yep. He's great in that. So yes. uh, his star is on the rise and so is my son's. <laughs> Rory's rising together. That's right. <laughs> like phoenixes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And again, you all can find, uh, where should they look for you? Should they 
look on uh, your personal Twitter? Yeah, sure. You can you can go to at Evan Kaufman on Twitter. It's, I use it mostly to promote uh, things and um, make small unnecessary political points mm-hmm. that everyone else is making on Twitter. Um, but uh, for the most part, I, you know, I promote all sorts of manner of projects. If you want to check out fatherly uh, fatherly.com has a lot of really, really great, awesome parenting content. And that's where my web series lives. You can go on Facebook or YouTube and type in fatherly and you'll be able to find it. Dude to dad is what it is called. And Besides that, I mean, I uh, am just around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, guys, call me up, invite me to go out somewhere. I will I will say no, but, uh, but I will be very appreciative and sorry that I cannot make it. I'll go, ooh, you know, I think that actually might be, I might have to hang out with the kid that night. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, if you get a, a sharp inhale through closed teeth, you'll know <laughs> That's that. That's right. <laughs> you should have made your offer a little bit sweeter. Exactly. Yeah. The parenting calendar sound. But look, hey, if you have a podcast that you want me to be on and I can do it uh, in my bathroom, I'm I'm there. <laughs> Broadcasting from the, the potty. That's right. That's how we do it. Yeah, that's you could have your own podcast called Potty Talk. A potty cast? Oh. Yeah, sorry. I'm glad. I'm glad this is coming an hour in because <laughs> now if people turn this off, it'll be appropriate. Yeah, uh, right, right. Yeah, good thing I didn't do yeah, that in yeah. the first five minutes. My God. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Evan. And you guys should go and check him out. And if you are in New York, um, it, that's where they should look. What every every other month or so for your love, our musical. You got it every month at Caveat Theater. You can go to yourloveourmusical.com and check it out. Cool. All right. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. And believe it or not, that is the end of this episode and my conversation with Evan Kaufman. Short, sweet, to the point, full of glorious segues, full of little shout outs to the Gilmore girls, full of some male versus female where the females come out on top stories. And (laughs) this episode was really great. I really enjoyed that conversation and I thanked him profusely. But again, I will thank you now at the end of this episode, Evan, for coming aboard and taking some time out of your night on the East Coast with a five-month-old and a wife that is there holding down the fort while you are holding down the toilet seat in your studio, quote-unquote, to have this conversation with me, something like that. So again, you guys should look for Evan in all those different ways that we talked about. You absolutely should check out the Godween Evan podcast. Also, I will throw out there, you guys need to check out osirispod.com and look at all the podcasts that are on that network now. There are so many new ones, so many great ones, and one of the very brand new podcasts to join the network is called Dark Blue. It is by Jeffrey Rickley or Jeff Rickley, who is the lead singer of the band Thursday. A lot of you probably remember that I had Tom Keeley on the podcast previously, who is the guitarist of the band Thursday. You should definitely check out those episodes if you haven't. But this podcast 
by Jeff is really, really cool. Very impressive as something new that he is embarking upon in this podcast. And I can't even say how important it is. The basis of it is conversations with Jeff and fellow artists, whether they're musicians or otherwise, talking about how they dealt with some kind of trauma, with health, with mental issues and other things that they may have undergone. It's a really, really important podcast. So I'd love for you guys to check that one out and get the word out on that one as well. Again, it is called Dark Blue. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Really quickly, you can find Daddy Unscripted on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, all as Daddy Unscripted. You can drop me a line at daddyunscripted at gmail.com for anything, anything that you want to let me know. And I don't say this every time, but I would love for you guys to leave a review on iTunes, leaving however many stars you think I'm worthy of and some kind of worded review. I, again, I am not really great about saying this, but I will read on the podcast some of the great reviews that you guys leave. So if that means something to you hearing yourself on my podcast, then go ahead and do that. I would love to read them on here and I would love to continue to get your guys feedback and keep this ball rolling. My next episode should be coming out in a couple weeks or so, but in the meantime, I greeted you guys in Albanian and now I will bid you adieu in Albanian and say Ditenem mir, which means have a nice day. I do mean that 100% sincerely. I hope you all have a great day and a great couple of weeks until you hear my voice again. Maybe that will be the last time I ever do that. So you're welcome. Have a good one. Have a good one.